Who's glad that I'm back in Luke? Yes, it's so nice. In fact, my favorite thing about being back in Luke is when I sat down early in the week and was like, okay, I got to start thinking about the sermon on Sunday. I didn't have to go, what do I want to talk about? I just went, what's Jesus got for us today? And I just said, let's go see what he's got. And I've opened up Luke to the next part. And I'm like, this is what, this is what Jesus is talking about. So that's what I'm going to be talking about. And there wasn't any trying to figure it out, which I loved. I just love that. And then just kind of taking some time to just be like focused in what does this mean? What does this say? And so I'm just so glad. I'm so thankful. Thank you, God, that you gave us a Bible. All right. I'm going to pray before I really dig in today, and uh, I'd like to ask that you pray along with me in your hearts just uh, that God would guide and direct this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for a Bible. We're so thankful for your word that it was written down, Lord, that we can open it up today and look at it and read it and, and understand believing that this is the very words of God that we're looking at. Lord, I just thank you so much for that. I just ask that you would Help us to stay to what your word says this morning, Lord. I pray that you'd guide my words, Lord, the study that I've done. But, Lord, I just ask that your very spirit would be present in this room this morning, guiding and directing not just the words that I say, but how they're heard and how they're received this morning. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so a little example to get started. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever met somebody or known somebody or talked to somebody that when you started listening to them, they're like, okay, they're a little bit off here, just a hair, but you knew, just listen, you're like, this, there's, there's, this, is, this is one of those things, that it's, it's a little bit off, but it's way off, right? It seems like a little bit off, but this is way, way off. I'll give you a couple examples. The first one is from my own experience. I may have shared this at one point or another. Several years ago, I had a student raise their hand in the middle of math class, which I don't know what it had to do with math class. That should have been my first sign something was going to be off. When they asked this question, they said, Mr. Harmless, um, if you were in Britain and you dug a hole, would you hit water? And I was like, okay, okay, there's something odd about this because, yes, that's a well, right? But I could tell by the way that this particular girl asked this question, there was something more to it than that. And I said, yes, that's a well, and explained it to you. And I said, but, but I feel like you're asking this for a reason. And she goes, well, because Britain's an island. And I'm like, okay, there's still, she's right, but there's something off. Can you feel there's something off just by the way she was right? What is the island for? And I said, what does that have to do with it? And she goes, because islands float. And I was like, oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. How did you make it to high school? I don't know. <laughs> What? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> Islands don't float, in case you didn't know, and Santa Claus isn't real. Okay, just... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Gosh, I'm going to be in trouble for that later, aren't I? <laughs> hey, I told my kids I was Santa Claus. Look at me. All right. Let's, let's go to with a different example. New example. New example. Back in 1979, this one's a little bit more sober and serious. Back in 1979, there were 257 people left on a flight from New Zealand to Antarctica. Okay? Now, the pilots had never flown this particular route, and I, I, I was doing some research on this because I, I found this story, but then I, I was looking. There's some documentaries about it. They were off when they left New Zealand to go to Antarctica for a sightseeing tourist sort of thing with these 257 people on this jet, they were off by two degrees. 
in being off by two degrees, by the time they got there, they were off by 28 miles and didn't realize it. That being said, they were off in such a way that they thought, because they thought they knew where they were, they decreased their altitude so that people could see out the window and see this, the, the coastline and everything in Antarctica. But because they were off by this two degrees, which was 28 miles, they ran directly into, everybody on board died, ran directly into, I think it's called Mount Erebus. It's an active volcano down in Antarctica and ran right into the side of it. All 257 people on board were killed instantly. Um, two degrees off. That doesn't seem like much, does it? You want some math? <laughs> if you are one degree off and you go for a foot, you walk one foot, that one degree off, like, so if I'm headed this way, but I'm one degree off and I just take one, I just go 12 inches, by the time I get to that 12 inches, I'll miss my mark by two-tenths of an inch. You guys go, wait, that, who cares? Okay, you're right. After 100 yards, you'll be off by 5.2 feet. After a mile, you'll be off by 92.2 feet, just one degree. If you're traveling from San Francisco to Los Angeles, you'll be off by six miles, just one degree off. So if you take off and you're... If you're going from San Francisco to Washington, D.C., you'd be off by 42.6 miles, just being off by one degree. Traveling around the globe from Washington, D.C., you'd miss by 435 miles and end up in Boston. In a rocket going to the moon, if you were off by one degree, you'd miss it by 4,169 miles, more than the diameter of the moon, I believe. More than, more than twice it, I think. If you were headed towards the sun and you were off by one degree when you took off, you'd miss it by 1.6 million miles. Being off by a little bit, but you know that feeling when you're off by a little bit, and sometimes there's things that we're off by a little bit, but it has huge implications. That's what I'm hoping that you'll see in the text that we're talking about. I thought about going back and doing a little bit of a review of Luke, where we're at. Um, I had a bunch of stuff written down, and I think it ended up mostly being for me just to help me remember where we're at. But we're in a section where Jesus has shifted from, he, he sent out his 12, and then he sent out his 72. We just covered that not too long ago. And now he's at this place where he's doing some teaching, and, and he'll, we're, we're shifting back and forth. Luke will t do some teaching, or sometimes he'll tell a little bit of a story, and then he'll talk about something that has to do with how people are responding or reacting to Jesus. And it's interesting because it's not one set pat response to Jesus across the board. There's a variety of responses. And the ones for this week, I would describe as missing the mark. They, they're just, just a hair off, but the implications are huge. And that's why you see Jesus respond the way he does to these things. Let's get to the first one. I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into the first one. Instead of doing a review, I'm just going to jump right into it. We're in Luke chapter 11, verse 27. I believe I have that up on a slide for you. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. And um, it's going to say, it's going to start before I put it up there. It's going to say, as he said these things. So this, we're jumping right into the middle of a, uh, there's a place where he's teaching some people. And he was just teaching a couple different things. The very last thing he taught had to do with an unclean spirit that had gone out and come back. And it came back with, you know, all of his friends, right? Remember that when we talked about that? So he's right in the middle of teaching this, okay? So imagine, if you will, a situation like we're in, and I'm right in the middle of teaching, 
And as he's saying these things, verse 20 says, as he said these things, a woman uh, uh, in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now, I thought about skipping this because I thought, how do I preach on this particular blessing? <laughs> um, but the reality is this is, this is this is in that day and today, it's, it's almost like an, a hearty amen, okay? For in that particular time period, it's not wrong in what she said. In fact, uh, Mary herself, earlier in Luke's gospel account, Mary herself said and calls herself blessed to, that she was chosen to be the one that would bear the Savior. I mean, so she is blessed. This woman who said this is not wrong. It's not wrong in what she's saying. In fact, also during that time period, it was very much seen that, and, and I think there's some truth to this even today, that there's some blessing that you get as a parent when you see your child doing well and making good choices, and you look at what they're doing, and it's, it's such a blessing to you. And I think that people see that. And I, I look at parents that have kids that are doing great, and I'm like, that's such a blessing, isn't it? I mean, there's a reality to what she's saying that is true. She's not wrong. But I want you to think about this as like a, a hearty amen. And I'm nervous saying that because I know that's going to give a couple of you ideas. I'm thinking maybe of my father-in-law and possibly Donnie of a new way to say amen in the middle of a service. Blessed is the womb that we're just, no, I mean, if you need to, you can use that blessing, feel free. But this is a hearty amen from this woman. But Jesus says, in response to this, this. He said, blessed rather. Now, I don't want you to think of that rather as a rebuke. Um, there's a couple ways this could be taken. There's a couple ways that Luke uses this particular Greek word. There's a word that he could have used to refer to a rebuke, like, uh, you missed it, lady. It, that's not what he's saying. This could be thought of as a yes, that's true, but don't forget this part, Okay. So this is not an outward rebuke, but it's, it's, I would call this like a course correction, okay? She's spot on in one way. There's some exuberance there in what she's doing. It's great that she's hearing these things and responding, like acknowledging these are good teachings that he is doing. But she's off by a hair, and Jesus offers up this slight correction. Blessed rather, he says, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Daryl Bach, one of my commentators that I love, he said this. He said, the crucial issue is not heaping praise on Jesus, but responding with action to his teaching. I have with action twice in there. With action to his teaching. Okay? I think this is a valid, important thing that we need to take into consideration when you're here. Let's just get real honest and real real. Okay? Sometimes we get this backwards. Sometimes it is seen as the ones who are the most spiritual, the ones who have the most exuberance sometimes, maybe even, even in a service, right? And there's not, is there anything wrong with that? Absolutely not. In fact, I know that this morning when Charity's like, hey, you know, who's here? And she's, want, what she want, I mean, she's wanting some exuberance and some excitement. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus is addressing, though, there's something else that's a little bit there, that's a little bit deeper that we need to take into consideration about what Jesus actually is seeking from his teaching. And it's not just the hearty amen, it's put it into action. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is coming off a text that's talking about doing what you're supposed to do with your physical bodies. That you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. There's a reality to the worship. I mean, I love it. I love it when we got the music going and some of you are like, you're in it, right? You're in it. The hands are up. You're, you're worshiping. There's, that's so, so good. But if that is the extent, you're off by a degree. And I think it leads to a much bigger implication. Let me give you a few examples, and I, I'm just jumping right into the. So earlier, you guys were like, oh, I'm so glad to be back in Luke. Are you sure you're glad to be back? Are you sure? This is, this is, this is hard to hear. I mean, think about these. Just some application-type ideas that came to my head right off the top of my head. This is, this is Matt thinking through what this could look like today. I think it could look like the person who comes here and like I, the first example I get, said, loves the music, sings praise to Jesus, maybe even is moved to tears or to deep thoughts of dependency on God, not just the outward but the inward. But then goes home and spend their, spends their days gossiping or complaining endlessly in their discontent. Do you see the problem? Praise you, Jesus. My life stinks. Somebody's like, it does. Well, you, it, yes, maybe it does. <laughs> but are we called to be content? Yes. Where's the application there? How about this one? The one who's absolutely faithful to be there, doesn't miss a service, doesn't miss a Sunday school, loves to pray, give a praise or a testimony during praise time, but then... What sort of life are they living outside of? Right? Are they being obedient to Jesus? Are they living a lifestyle, living, making choices that are clearly against what Christ teaches? But if I'm to be honest and, and bold, living with somebody in sin, right? Involved with relationships that are clearly not. Now, some people go, yeah, but what about, what about? I'm not talking about all the whatabouts. Let's, let's just start with what do you know that God clearly teaches? Are you doing those things? I mean, that's the point. Blessed are those who hear and do what God says. And Jesus says, happy, blessed are those. How about the one who comes and talks about what a good sermon it is, which I don't mind. That's nice when you say that. Great sermon. I appreciate it. I'm going to be honest with you. I appreciate it. If, if nobody said that, I'd be like, man, did I, was I even talking today? I don't know. But when you, oh, that was a great, I appreciate that. And it's, it's an encouragement to me. I don't mind that at all. It's an encouragement to me. But what about the ones that do this and they appreciate the doctrine and the preaching? And they're like, oh, the, and they're doing the hearty amens. But then they go home and they're unloving or unkind to their families. I mean, just downright mean. Do you really love the doctrine and the teaching? James chapter 1, verse 22. One of many places in James that says something similar to this. But this, one, this one's one that I haven't popped up on the screen in a long time. Uh, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why does it say deceiving yourselves? 
It goes on to say that this describes a person, someone who's a hearer but not a doer, is like one who looks into a mirror and sees what kind of person they are. Now, I, I do that in the morning. I look in the mirror, see what kind of person I am. I'm usually depressed for a few minutes. All right? But let's say I woke up and I had a big smudge of you know, saliva up the side of my face, drool, and my hair's... Uh, I'm sorry. And then I'm... I'm my TMI. Uh, my hair's all like, you know, looking and... And I'm like, oh, man, this needs some work before I go anywhere. I mean, I don't have a lot to work with, but I should do something about that. And I walk away and I forget. That's what a hearer of the word and not a doer is like. Someone who sees what manner of the person they are and walks away unchanged. You come here, you hear the word of God preached. What this looks like in a very natural level is, you, you ever been sitting in a sermon and the pastor's talking, and, he, and you're like, wait, does he know something about me that somebody's told him? I'm going to tell you right now, I probably don't. Okay, And even if I did, I probably forgot because my memory is terrible. But then you hear it. And you, you feel that little... And, and I, I would describe the work of the Spirit often as not a blaring, but more of a whisper. For me, it usually comes across to me more like an elbow to the side, right? A little jab. That's you. Now, if you hear that, and you know, this is where I need it. That's the very Spirit of God. I believe that is the very Spirit of God working in you. Through faulty human preaching and a faulty listener, the Spirit of God has been promised to be here today. And so if you're sitting there and you hear, you hear one of the, maybe one of those examples I gave you, like, that's kind of me. What ought you to do? If you don't know, if you go, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Matt, but I have trouble doing, you know what? Come talk to me. The Bible has everything we need for life and godliness. I'd be more than happy to sit down with you and talk you through the ways that God has for you to begin working that repentance out in your life on a daily basis. Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And this woman, whoever she was, in all of her exuberance, I think Jesus knew she's a degree off. You're not wrong, but if that's all you take away from, if you just hear the teachings of Jesus and you go, man, that's good. Blessings on you for saying it. But you don't walk away and put it into action. You're completely missing the point. And like shooting for the moon and being a degree off, you'll miss it by thousands of miles. Now, there's two of them I have for you today. That's the first one. We could have had a whole sermon right there, but I wanted to get to this next one because I found some overlap in here. And I also love the way the next verse starts. It's not your typical ministry approach to church. Now, we've grown some, haven't we? I know you guys are probably getting tired of hearing that, but I, I'm, it's, it's just, this is way fuller than it used to be. A lot fuller than it used to be. Okay, true. A lot fuller than it used to be, right? I mean, you should have seen it was just me and Charity. That was terrible. No, no, it was never, it was never that small. Almost, it felt that way sometimes, didn't it? Me and Charity and Norma and Steve. Oh, my parents. Okay, I'm not going to list it. All right, so we've grown some. Now, 
I figure probably those guys are really good at doing ministry type stuff. They would not take Jesus' approach here, but I'm, I'm, I'm obviously being a little sarcastic because I, I think Jesus' approach is probably the better of the two. But you see what he says here. Listen to what he says next. And tell me, this, this sounds like, okay, we just got a bunch of new people. How should we approach all these new people? How should we address them? What should we say to them as they've come in seeking Jesus? And it says here in verse 29, the first part, it says, when the crowds were increasing... He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Now, how would you like that? Like, I'm so glad all of you here this morning. I am so glad that you're here. I just have something to tell you. You are an evil, evil generation. <laughs> or we could come at it from the, the way Matthew adds a little bit more to the context. He doesn't just say evil. He says, you're an adulterous and evil generation. Wow, that's, is that going to keep everybody there? Maybe not, maybe so, but what a, what a way, what a ministry approach. I mean, they don't teach you this in, in college ministry, do they? Like, okay, it's really important if you ever get a good you know, influx of people, start off by calling them evil. That's, a, that's what you need to do. But that's what Jesus did. I love it. He says, this generation is an evil generation. Now, before I go on to say what he's going to talk about, I can't help but think there's got to be some connection with what he just told that woman and how he verges in. He's looking at this crowd. She's exuberant. He comes back. He says this response, and then he jumps right into this directly from that. Boom. And so right in the middle of this teaching, he shifts gears and basically insults the entire group to a degree and says, this evil generation, let me tell you why. And I think that it's also, and I think the reason why Luke included it right next to it, and I think the reason why Jesus said it right next to this is there's also, it's also an example of missing it by a degree. Okay? Listen to what he says. He says, when the crowds are increasing, he began to say this generation is an evil generation. And then he says this, it seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Now, before I go on, let me, let me take a step back. It seeks for a sign. So the evil part, the reason why he calls them an evil generation is because they're seeking for a sign. Okay? That's, that's the connection. This is what's wrong with this generation that's come. Now, my first thought when I read this, and probably your first thought is, hasn't he been doing that? Now, if you followed along with Jesus' ministry so far, hasn't he been doing all kinds of signs and wonders? So what's going on here? This generation, they're seeking for a sign. They've come back for more of that, okay? He says, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So the way Jonah was assigned to the, that city of Nineveh, that's how Jesus says he's going to be assigned to this generation. That's the sign you're going to get. I'd like to read Matthew's version of this. He includes just a little bit more. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So he gives us some context as to specifically who's asking for it. It's also possible this happened more than one time. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah, and so he gives a little bit more detail, what's the sign of the prophet Jonah? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jonah being in the belly of the great fish, Jesus being in the grave, that's the sign they're going to get. 
So we have these crowds increasing. They're excited about all he's been doing, but they want more, and he basically says, this is what you're going to get. The way Jonah was to them, this is what you're going to get. What's interesting about this is that the people of Nineveh didn't even see that sign. Right? Let me go back. So Jonah, as you know, ran away from God, went out on the sea. They tossed him overboard at his request. He was swallowed. Chapter 2 of Jonah is all about him praying to God and seeking God's grace. God then in his grace barfs him up on the shore. Right? We're talking about baptism this morning. He's barfed up, and then he, God says, all right, time to go again. Chapter 3 starts, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and tells him again, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so this time, instead of running, he obeys. You probably learned this. Who learned this when you were a kid in, in Sunday school? Anybody in here learned this in Sunday school? So Jonah rose, went to Nineveh, verse 3. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. It was also a very wicked, evil city, the capital of the Assyrian Empire. These people would, when they conquered a people, would often skin their victims alive and hang them over the wall. Terrible, terrible people. That's just scratching the surface of the types of things that they would do. They were enemies to the Jews. Why in the world would Jonah not want to go there? But yet that's who God called them to go to. Gentiles, not the Jews. So Jonah began to go into the city and listen to the sermon that he preaches. And tell me what you think about this sermon. Some of you are going to like it because it's short. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, and this is his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Do you, do you hear in there any words of grace? Do you hear, unless you, is he bringing that up at all? This is simply a pronouncement of judgment, impending judgment. Wow, what kind of sermon is that? So the sermon he preached, you've got 40 days, and that's it. Tough luck. God's coming. Now, is it possible that the story of Jonah coming out of the fish had been reported to the people of Nineveh? What do you think? Do we have any record of it happening, that the, him being puked out of this fish on the shore could have made it to them? Is there any evidence of that? I didn't see any, did you? Um, it didn't sound like it was. I think it's possible that word of it could have happened. I mean, if anybody saw it happen, and they're like, man, we saw this guy, and then they, maybe they followed him, and I, I don't know. I doubt it. I think there could be a possibility that there was, because the sign that Jesus was talking about was the sign that the people of Nineveh got. And so maybe in some sense, maybe they had seen that sign. And the, Jesus saying, they sign that they got, not just the preaching, but that sign is what you're going to get when I go into the tomb. We were just talking about, though, something that is the problem here. And I don't want you to miss the problem with what the people of Jesus' day are doing. They're seeking for a sign. Jesus offers them a sign. He's it's a sign that has not yet happened, but in some senses they're being given exactly what the people of Nineveh had been given, preaching, right? The people of Nineveh had been given some preaching. Jesus is preaching to them, and these people are seeking for a sign. 
Now, I don't want to go out too far out on a limb. I was just talking about this last Thursday. I think that there's, there's this, this new, it's probably not new, but I keep running into this, this, this challenge with people. And I think it echoes back to what we just heard from this woman where Jesus said, do. I quite often will hear people say, and I hope that this makes sense, I quite often will hear people say that they don't come quite as bold as this, like we want a sign, but there's a little bit of that going on inside of them. Like they know what God has told them to do, but what they're waiting for is some one more piece. Do you know what I'm talking about? One more thing to happen. For some, it ends up being some event in their life, and so something will happen, and maybe they're in a car wreck, and they survive, and they're like, <gasps> right? Now, is that what was required for them to be obedient to the God's word? No. Is that great that that happened? Yes. Can that be a sign to them to do what they ought to be doing? Absolutely. But if you're hesitating, doing what God has called you to do because you're waiting for one more thing, the question, I think, is what are you waiting for? Right? I mean, that's really the issue that Jesus is addressing with these people. What do you wait? If you're waiting for one more thing, I'm not going to give you one more thing. I'm going to give you this thing, and that's going to have to be enough. In fact, that's going to be enough for the rest of all of these generations. And so I can't help but ask you, what are you waiting for? If there's things you go, I know what God has called me to do. I know what he's told me to do. But I'm kind of, and maybe you never thought of it as seeking for a sign, but that's the reality of what you're doing. You're waiting for one more. You're waiting for something supernatural to just intervene and say, do it now. And I'm going to be honest with you. Very few times in my life has God brought things to my attention that I ought to be doing in some flamboyant sign sort of way. Usually it's this way. In the morning, oh, gunk in the eye, sipping some coffee, barely awake, but Lord, I want to read your word. And then come into a text that just pierces the heart. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning even the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I'm not talking about I was sitting there and like a light shone and, you know, angels were singing. But none of that happened. In fact, I was barely awake many of the times that these things happened. But it's just the simple reading of the word and knowing that this is God's word for me. Some people are waiting for God to speak to them, right? In an audible, I'm telling you, his word is here. I get to hear from him every single day that I pick up this book and read his word. It's available to you. And if you're sitting there waiting for some supernatural thing, I'd love to talk about how supernatural this is to begin with, that we have it. What an availability, and what are you waiting for? His word is here. Dig into it. Listen to what he says, and this is how we're going to end the way he ends with this. You've got 40 days, he said, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He goes on. Let's go back to Luke. And then he says these two things. He's going to come back to Jonah in a second, but listen to this one. He says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let me talk about this just briefly. First Kings chapter 10 is where this comes from. 
Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with very great retinue, with camels, bearing spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. And I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. I'm not on the right slide. And she says next, happy are your men, blessed are your men, happy are your men, happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom, but then don't miss this, blessed be the Lord. She recognized something, all of that, all the wisdom, all the teaching she had just heard, she recognized where it came from. Blessed be the Lord your God, Jehovah your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. So she comes and hears the teaching, no signs, no wonders, just wisdom, and she believes and honors God. Back to Luke and back to Jonah. Jesus goes back to him. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. How, how long was that sermon? Did, was there the offer of repentance in that sermon? No. But they repented for the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here, something greater than that. And so what Jesus is saying is the people that were sitting there warning a sign, he says that this queen on judgment day, that day, she's going to rise up, and she will be a condemnation to you because you've gotten something greater than what she had, and she repented at that. The people of Nineveh, same thing. Listen to what happened right after that preaching of Jonah. Back in Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. He's going to destroy us. Let's call out to him. Let everyone turn from his evil way. How did they know what their evil ways were? Did Jonah specify? You know what blows my mind about that? Most people... In the depths of their being, and I would say theologically this is accurate because God has written on their hearts his very law, but most people know the things that they do that are wrong that they ought not to be doing. Some might try to debate, but it's amazing how many people genuinely they know. When it comes right down to it, they know, and these people knew what they were doing that was evil. And the violence that is in his hands, who knows, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then what did God do? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, if you read the story of Jonah, that's a whole other part afterwards. He gets, he gets real frustrated by it. He wanted the judgment, but they repented. 
Both of these situations, I think, can just strike home in our week. Are you an exuberant acceptor? Amen. With no application, Monday through Friday, you're off by a degree and you're going to miss it entirely. Maybe you're not that. Maybe you're a trendy follower. That's what I'm going to describe this next group. They all came because he'd been doing stuff. And what they want? Some more. Do we have a slew of that going on in our churches today? I would say yes. There's a lot of people that, the new exciting one, I'm, I hope that we don't become that. I'm doing everything I can not to be exciting and new and good. I will, whatever I can do to keep that from happening, I will, we've got meetings planned on how it can be as ridiculous as possible to drive people away. But God, for, if that happens, oh, this is the new thing that's going on, and that does that happen in churches? You, you see, the, the, that is exactly what he's addressing. And he says, on the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh, these people of Nineveh that did the most horrible and horrific things on judgment will stand as an example of condemnation to the people of Jesus' generation and I think to the people of our generation that do not repent. If you're waiting for something, stop waiting. If there's things that you know God has called you to do, start doing them. If you're sitting there going, I don't know how to do it, there are people that would love to help you and walk you through that, and especially with those, those sins that like to grab and hold and grip a hold of your life. There's hope for that as well. But it starts, I think, with this simple act of saying, not just, amen, but, Lord, how can I put this into practice tomorrow? How can I put this into practice tomorrow? What can I do tomorrow? If you're not sure, ask the people that are closest to you that love Jesus, maybe the people in your own home. That's scary, isn't it? What are they going to say? Say, what, what, what do you think God's calling me to do? They might be like, well, you're a jerk. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just throwing one out there. Hey, what? Are you going to take that to heart? Are you going to take that to heart and say, okay, I'm going to. I didn't see that. Thanks. But are you going to take that to heart and say, Lord, if that's true, help me to grow in this area. All right. I'm going to dismiss this on that note. I want to encourage you, even as we, we're going to eat together today, I want to encourage you to just start putting this into practice today. When we're going through that meal, start, I mean, amongst yourselves, what, what are ways that I can put this into practice? How can I apply this in my life today? When you're sitting with those around you and you're sitting with friends, you're talking to people maybe you just met and you're like, start, start stirring up those things. I think Paul talked about that last week, the one another's, Right? And I, I got to listen to it because he's talking about irritating each other. I don't know what that was all about. None of you are irritating to me. All right, let's go ahead and pray. And then uh, as soon as I'm done praying, I'm going to dismiss you. And I think we're going to set up some tables or something so we can have our meal together, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you so much for your word again. I thank you for Luke. I thank you for even the parts of your word that are piercing and challenging and rough God, I thank you for those, maybe most of all. Lord, I ask that you'd help me to put these things into practice in my own heart, my own life. Lord, I pray that I would not be one that would get up and preach. Lord, as we know, we know our, our country, 
Our world has been plagued by what we thought were godly leaders who had no depth. Lord, I pray that you'd protect us from that. Lord, protect me from that. Protect Paul from that. Lord, help us to be first and foremost putting your words into application in our lives when we step out of this building, first and foremost. Lord, I pray for all of us that are here today that we would do the same thing. Lord, putting your word into practice. Blessed, God, are your words. But Lord, how much more blessed are we when we put them into practice? Lord, I pray for those that are waiting around for something before they start doing what God has called them to do. Lord, if nothing else, I pray that this is the sign for them that you came to this earth. You lived a righteous life. You were killed, crucified on a cross. You were buried. You were in the grave dead. And then you came back. Lord, if nothing else, let that be the sign for them today, the sign that you said we're gonna get. Let that be the sign for them today. If you came back from the grave, Lord, I'll do what you call me to do. I pray this now in Christ's name, amen.